The winner is. 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 What's the like of seeing your luggage? Sometimes. That means sometimes. There can be a hundred people in a room. Maybe there is right now. I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken. I don't know her. She always has these long lists of like diva demands. Cheetos and Doritos. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. I understand you embrace the term diva. Yeah. Hello, divas and devos. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Diva Dailies. This is a podcast where we deconstruct divas on film and TV. I am your host, Steffi. And at the time of putting this episode out, it is Sunday Pacific Standard Time here in the United States. And, you know, a couple days ago was Thanksgiving. So for those of us who celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving break. You were well fed well-rested, and I hope you did it in a safe, socially distanced way because COVID. Well, if you guys aren't already following the podcast, make sure you're following us. We're at Diva Daily's Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us. We're divadailyspod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail message, we're 714-729-3121. And if you want to follow me personally on social media, I'm at INN underscore MHO. And I also have a YouTube channel if you want to check that out. It's in my humble opinion. So in today's episode, this is, as you can read the title of the episode, this is part two of our crazy rich Asians extravaganza, if you will. Diego is going to be back on this episode with me, of course, because he was in part one where we just broke down the movie. And in today's episode, part two, we're going to do the remaining segments that we usually do in a Diva Dailies episode. So it's the Popcorn and Pop Stars segment, Tinseltown Showdown, Spill the Technicolor Teas, Show Me the Receipts, and just a whole lot of conversation about Asian representation in mainstream media, a lot of the controversy that was surrounding Crazy Rich Asians at the time, and of course, just giving it up for Constance Wu and underrated diva. Michelle Yeoh. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. I've been working all day on editing this episode. Honestly, not even all day, like the past couple of days. So I hope the wait is worth it. I'm sorry for the delay. But now, without further ado, here is part two of our Crazy Rich Asians episode. Let's jump into popcorn and pop stars. This is a segment where we talk about where the divas were at this point in their career when they were about to make the movie and potentially why they did the movie. So, you know, we're Asian, so we respect our elders. Let's start with Miss Michelle Yeoh. So where was Michelle Yeoh at at this point in her career when she was going to do like Crazy Rich? Well, for anyone who's from East Asia or Southeast Asia like I am, you should automatically know who Michelle Yeoh is. She is Mm -hmm. an iconic legend in Asian cinema who's been able to cross over into Hollywood for like a couple of decades now. And fun fact, she was Miss Malaysia in 1983 when she was only 20 years old. So... Oh my gosh, beauty queen. Right, so all your college resumes are shaking. (laughs) Um... (laughs) (laughs) Miss Malaysia. 
My name is Yo Chu King. I'm a graduate and I come from Ipoh. And so in terms of her career, you know, she's been in many iconic Hong Kong action movies since the early 1990s. You know, she was even a Bond girl mm. in Tomorrow Never Dies with Mr. Pierce Brosnan, you know. You were pretty good on the bike. Wow. That comes from not growing up at all. Yeah. Allow me. Don't get any ideas, Mr. Bond. And she was also in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is this legendary martial arts movie. Here's the good news and the bad news. <laughs> People are saying such great things about you and the movie. That's the good news. The bad news is every once in a while you hear someone say, oh, that's that kung fu movie. Ah. Which is kind of a strange way to describe it. You don't like that, do you? No, because that's not what it is. How would you describe it? It's a real romantic epic, to be honest. And we have martial arts thrown in. And so, as we go into Crazy Rich Asians, she was most recently in Memoirs of a Geisha. Focus on your studies. Music, the art of conversation. No, we were rivals. A true Geisha can stop a man in his tracks with a single look. You are ready. Star Trek Discovery. When I give an order, I do not expect to be ignored. Don't you bow before your emperor. We'll talk more about her later on, about why America doesn't seem to appreciate her legendariness for some reason. Oh, okay. Wow. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Doesn't Michelle Yeoh also do like her own stunts? Like she's known for that. Did you do that whole thing yourself? Yes. 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 Did you break any bones during the filming of this movie? I am amazed. I didn't, I wasn't seriously, seriously hurt doing this movie. I'm amazed uh, how I walked out from this movie in one piece. You should get a lot of money, Michelle. I'm a little worried now. I thought maybe there was another stunt person or... But now I'm scared. You do them all, I hope they're giving you millions and millions of dollars. She really can be that bitch. She does a lot of action movies, like I said. You know, she's done the James Bond movie, she's done martial arts. Wow. And she can't even like kill you with just a death stare from her eyes. As we saw in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. So... <laughs> So she's a very multifaceted legend. I remember when this movie had just come out, there was actually some Oscar buzz for her a little bit mm. with her role in this movie, like for Best Supporting Actress. Right. She obviously wasn't nominated, but it would have been cool to see her there. But for me, Michelle Yeoh, in terms of acting, she's the standout for me. Right, right. She's so fucking good. And funny that you talked about how she wasn't like nominated, for example, for like a Best Supporting Actress, which relates to how my point is that America doesn't fully appreciate or isn't really fully aware of what her career has been like or how important she is for Asians and Americans alike. Mm -hmm. So Michelle Yeoh does like a lot more to it as well. So why do you think Michelle Yeoh did Crazy Rich then? So she's done like a couple press interviews where she said that she initially was not interested in joining the movie mm. because she didn't want to portray a villain, you know, for the sake of being a one-dimensional villain in the movie. Mm -hmm. She apparently had like private meetings with the director and the author of the books and she wanted to talk about why is her character this way? Why does she treat Rachel Chu a specific way? Why does she approach the topic of family and wealth in a specific way? Right. She wanted to get more into like the brains and minds of her own character instead of playing this one-dimensional Corella Deville freaking dragon mother mm -hmm. character who's just evil on the side. Which I really think was really great on her part in terms of being an actress. She wants to really show as much sides to her character as much as possible and not just portray her just a standard villain that Hollywood movies tend to stereotype a lot of people with. Mm -hmm. There's also an element of cultural differences between, you know, what's considered quote-unquote successful. You know, in America, maybe her motives are considered to be like of a villain yeah. per se, but in East Asia... 
you know, she's all about the family, she's all about image and reputation, and that's very common in East Asia. So it was great that she really had those discussions first with the director and the author before she finally accepted the role. That's really cool that she went in there to just clarify, especially because, <laughs> like, with, like, Asian women, too, like, right. because, well, first of all, there's not that many roles for Asian people in general, but right. when you do get the opportunity for, like, Asian women to be portrayed in film and TV, it's like you don't want them to be a stereotype, like, in her case, to be, like, mm-hmm. a quote-unquote dragon lady. Right. Right, right. She wasn't like one dimensional, oh, I'm like this angry, overprotective mom for like no reason. Like they gave her some moments where you saw the motivation behind the way she acted. So she straight up came into the casting call with a green sharpie. She was like, uh, <laughs> let me. <laughs> Let me make some notes, okay? Let me make some notes. She's like, I know you have notes, but I have notes too. So here we go. (laughs) (laughs) And Michelle, I know you're a legend in these streets. Michelle, yo, everybody. Hey, I'm sure all of you watched me while you were growing up, right? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, let's move on to Constance Wu then. So where was Miss... Constance Wu at when she was gonna make Crazy Rich Asians? Well, way before Crazy Rich Asians, she appeared in like a couple small roles for TV shows like Law and Order SVU, Covert Affairs, and even One Life to Live. But then she began elevating a lot with Fresh Off the Boat, which was on ABC, which I'm sure a lot of you must have heard of because it made a lot of headlines around the country. Fresh Off the Boat, and even the title is uh, offensive to a lot of people. Now, the show is loosely based on a book written by Eddie Wong, who is talking about his experiences growing up Asian in suburbia. He's a producer on the show, and I spoke to Eddie earlier today on our set. So why use the title Fresh Off the Boat? When you allow everyone to say, I'm fresh off the boat, that's like to let everyone say the N-word. Like, that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You can't enable other people to use a term that's for your community. So then why put it out there? Because now people, you understand that some people may use it because of that reason. But here's the thing. This is a very important question. I'm so glad you asked that. I refuse to allow dominant culture to limit the words that I can use. Just because I'm afraid of them using it or afraid of them thinking of me a certain way, I will not limit my vocabulary. I will not limit my identity. All right, let's get another perspective. Joining us right now from New York, I'm Randall Park, one of the stars of the show. You know, Randall, this is actually the first time in 20 years that a network uh, show is centered around an Asian American family. And I would say it's long overdue, considering there are 20 million people in this country who identify themselves as Asian. So do you feel like people are counting on you to get it right, so to speak? I do feel that, you know, that pressure, especially since we're the only one out there right now, and it's been so long. You know, the show is uh, obviously very controversial because so many stereotypes are used. Was it meant to be controversial, getting people to talk, and obviously we're talking about it, so it creates publicity? Do you think that's the intent? It's groundbreaking. I think it's important to kind of see things from from other perspectives, you know, and and, and that's how we we connect more with people who are different from us on a daily basis in terms of our lives, and I feel like uh, hopefully our show can open the doors to, to, to more shows like it. I personally never watched Fresh Off the Boat when it was on, but I've heard like a lot of great things about it. I've even seen some clips of it on YouTube. And I karaoke that's my wife (laughs) voice of an angel (laughs) she's performing at cattleman's ranch oh oh and 
This is not a duet. Okay, yeah. But then the drama actually started with Fresh Off the Boat. Great news for Constance Wu and her hit show Fresh Off the Boat. It was announced on Friday that it's being renewed for a sixth season. So an overjoyed Wu went straight on Twitter to gush. So upset right now that I'm literally crying, ugh, <laughs> and <laughs> hell. And under the network's announcement on Instagram, she wrote, dislike. <laughs> no one knew why this upset her. And after a backlash accusing Wu of ingratitude, she tweeted, y'all are making a lot of assumptions about what I was saying, and no, it's not what it's about. Stop assuming. Yeah. Y'all stop assuming this was about the renewal just because a fan tweeted at her, congrats on your renewal, great news. And she tweeted back, no, it's not. Constance's tweets were immediately met with backlash from fans calling her ungrateful and disrespectful. Even Wu's Crazy Rich Asians co-star Gemma Chan got caught liking a tweet claiming <laughs> Wu had a reputation for being rude, petty, mean-spirited, and ungrateful. Shady. Something Gemma claims she did Accidentally. Uh-huh. And now she's quickly apologized, saying she's thrilled that the sitcom's coming back, but that she had a moment because it meant she had to give up a project she was passionate about. And so what you need to do before you take to Twitter to bitch and moan, yeah. take yeah. a beat before and you tweet. Before you tweet. So basically, Constance Wu, when Crazy Rich Asians came out around 2018, she was already three to four years into her role with Fresh Off the Boat, and she was already kind of feeling like, you know, I want to get out of TV, I want to do more challenging roles, and mm -hmm. she saw Crazy Rich Asians as an opportunity for her to do that. Right. So I think that that was a huge, huge factor into why she accepted the role. And actually, when she auditioned for the role, she said that she couldn't accept the role initially because of Fresh Off the Boat. She had a specific filming schedule for that TV show. Right. Yeah, they wanted me for it, and I met, you know, the producers and the director for it, but then my schedule didn't work because of my TV show, Fresh Off the Boat, which I love being on. So mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I'll have to let this job go. And so I did, but then, like, a couple months later, I was like, it wouldn't hurt to just, like, write a little email saying how much I wanted it. And <laughs> uh, so I did, and... Um, I guess it was a really good email. Truth be told, they held off the production by I think a month or so just to let her come in finally after finishing Fresh Off the Boat. So basically, she was pressed with her TV show and she wanted to move into TV. I mean, into movies. <laughs> she, she was like, let me get off this boat. So <laughs> She's like, tie it to the dock. <laughs> basically, basically. <laughs> Who is it? Mrs. Potts, dear. I thought you might like a spot of tea. So let's jump into Spill the Technicolor Tea. This is a segment of the podcast where we talk about any gossip, controversy, or just fun facts about the movie. So it's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while. This can be a hefty portion of our episode today. Oh <laughs> what tea do you have? So I guess like chronologically speaking, in terms of the film development, the director revealed at one point that one Hollywood producer wanted to whitewash Rachel Chu's role. One of the producers who approached you about adapting Crazy Rich Asians into a movie, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they suggested that you change the Asian American leading lady character into a white woman. Oh yeah, absolutely. It wasn't even suggestion, it was an offer basically, that came from a producer. Like, let's do it said, if you're willing to do this. Yeah, uh -huh. I will option this movie if you're willing to, you know, change Rachel to a white girl. Did you, you know? consider that for a second? Not for even a second. We didn't even bother responding. 
Were you astonished that somebody would even suggest it? Um, <laughs> I, I actually wasn't. I knew that this movie would be a challenge, um, you know, because I knew it needed an all-Asian cast. And so I knew that a lot of traditional Hollywood would find it to be not a viable project. Also, in development, Netflix was very interested in getting worldwide rights to Crazy Rich Asians. You know, they offered a lot of artistic freedom for the director and the producers and the writers. And they even greenlit the whole trilogy of books. And apparently, there was a huge seven-figure minimum check. Wow. But, you know, the author and director were like, uh, no, ma'am, we want the full cultural impact of an international theatrical release. Kevin and I had talked a lot about of, of the goals of this movie, which there is a message that is said um, in the cinema that it is uh, worth your time and your energy to leave your home to fight traffic and parking and stand in line and pay for a ticket and gather your friends and schedule, put it in your calendar and then sit in a room and then turn off the lights, let go of everything else and say, tell me a story. And, 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 and to have an Asian cast, all Asian cast, uh, in romantic roles and heroic roles, comedic roles, and to present it on a platter like that. It just, I think it trickles to every part of pop culture when you do that. And to have a giant studio like Warner Brothers uh, to anoint that and spend ten mil tens of millions of dollars to uh, promote that uh, sends messages that this is good business. And I have to, I, I don't know if we've said this yet, but I actually didn't have the power to say either thing. It was Nina and Brad and John that, when the decision came down, they said, we defer to John and Kevin. That was unheard of, like, that all their lawyers, I'm sure, killed them after. <laughs> um, so I have to give that respect to them. And, and again, I've never really, I don't think we've said that in the interviews yet, but um, they, they empowered us to make that decision. I felt like that was, like, really appropriate, especially with the movie, like, Crazy Rich Asians, because when this movie came out, it was, like, such an event. Right. And I don't think you would have that same kind of, ooh, this is, like, a moment had it just been a Netflix release. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, Netflix has, like, a lot of clout. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having that whole release and in the movie theater can make for such a huge event and it can make for such a huge culture impact it's like by having a movie like crazy rich asians have like this big movie premiere in hollywood it's like we're now sort of being part of the hollywood tradition of like big movie premieres and we have the red carpet mm -hmm. and all of that it's like now asians get to be a part of that with their movie so it was, it was really cool as an asian person i approve right we both <laughs> approve Ooh. yes, yes. Ooh. i could say a little tea here mm -hmm. so one tea that i found was henry golding's casting so when his casting was announced people were really upset because they didn't think henry golding was quote-unquote Asian enough. Right. For those of you guys who don't know, Henry Golding's mom is Malaysian and his father is British. And there were people that were rather upset that they didn't cast someone who was 100% Asian. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, including Henry Golding, were asked about this idea in interviews. There's been some criticism out there of you and really? your background. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How have you handled it? Like, why can't we own our identity? Why can't we just provide the support we need to promote Asians in general, not nitpick the fact for the fact that, um, that you know, I'm, I'm half-blooded. I grew up in Asia. I was born in Asia. It's healthy to have the conversations because the history denotes that Hollywood has, has a history of, of whitewashing. But, um, 
you know, I'm Asian through and through. I, I don't need to prove that to anyone. That's a whole other topic right, of right. Asians being questioned whether they're 100% Asian enough. So I just thought that was interesting that he faced that problem during this movie. And that definitely opens up another conversation about like, you know, how Asian are you? Mm. Are you considered Asian enough? What are the parameters for being considered Asian enough? And right. do mixed people have a seat at the table as well? Because, you know, he, he can be, like I said, like he's Malaysian and British, but people are going to be like, but he's not full Asian or he's not full British. So like mixed people right. can also feel left out. So diversity is all great and everything, but there's a lot of blurry colors oops, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lines. Yeah, it's just so interesting too because I remember when they announced oh, Henry Golding is being cast as Nick. It never crossed my mind like oh, he's half or anything. Like when I see Henry Golding like I immediately just look at him and I'm like, oh, that's an Asian right. guy. There's no question behind that. Right. But when people started to, you know, do a little digging and then they found out that he wasn't 100%, then it was like this whole controversy of like, oh, he shouldn't be Nick. When I feel like Henry Golding was the perfect Nick because mm-hmm. he has this like old Hollywood glamour, like classy. Yes. He holds himself in that way. And you're just like, wow, he's Nick. But it's just interesting that people were like, well, even though he may be the best qualified because he's not 100% Asian, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And yeah, like you said, like, you know, he on the outside, he looks Asian as, as a person. Right. But then if you look deeper into him, like he's actually British and Malaysian. So that also another conversation starter about like, do I look Asian enough? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead of just asking, am I considered Asian enough? He lived in Singapore and Malaysia for quite some time. Like, if anything, like, he, out of, probably outside of, like, Michelle Yeoh, like, he's the one that, like, really knows what it is like to be an inhabitant of <laughs> Southeast right. Asia. Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that there were even, like, people, no shade to Asian Americans who maybe haven't had the opportunity to go back home to Asia, but the fact that, like, there were some Asian Americans that were like, um, no, he's not Asian enough. I was like, ma'am, have a seat. Like, <laughs> what's interesting to me was you've received some backlash um, from fans of the book, which I don't un- understand, over your casting. Some people question whether you were Asian enough. That's right. Yeah. For the role. It's, you know, it's 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 something that I think a lot of it's mixed amazing. race mixed race people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and being sort of half British, uh, there were sort of outcries of whitewashing. But you know, I I don't, I don't have hate for that. I think I think it's it's definitely a conversation that should be seen, mm-hmm. um, because it kind of just shows the studios that we're watching. Mm-hmm. We're very aware of of how you, we we want our films to tell authentic stories mm-hmm. now. It's annoying when people like call out other people and be like, "You're not Asian enough, or you're not white enough, or you're not black enough." It's like, who mm-hmm. are you to tell me what my experience right. is as an individual? Like, right? Don't talk to me. Don't tell me what I am or what I am not. Right. So this whole controversy with the whole casting situation, I understand people's points mm-hmm. to an extent. Yeah, oh, totally. But at the same time, I also understand where Henry's coming from. You know, as a mixed person. Mm-hmm. He struggles a lot with his identity as well and when handling all this controversy. It's just sad when like people feel the need to police how others quote unquote perform their race. Like that's a silly kind of idea and concept, Mm -hmm. but to a certain extent, I feel like a lot of people do that. 
which is sad. I think a lot of people do that unconsciously. Like, they already have, like, a bias in mm-hmm. their head already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think in recent years, the whole diversity movement is making people acknowledge and realize that they do have an unconscious bias inside them. And this movie is one way to, like, let you acknowledge that you do have an unconscious bias and start the conversation about race and color and identity and all that kind of stuff. Totally. Especially within, like, the Asian community because those are conversations that we need to have. And us Asians, we like to hold in our feelings, so... Yeah, we don't talk. <laughs> we don't have Thanksgiving in Asia. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, being sort of half British, I've always struggled with my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that I learned very young was to own my identity. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I yes. knew... I, I'm Asian through and through. Yeah. Um, there was nothing that I needed to prove. So when that came up, I wasn't heartbroken or I wasn't like sort of shied away from it. Um, I think the best way to, to fight that sort of stuff is, is opening a dialogue. And, and that's what yeah. we did. Well, what other tea do you have? Well, this might be the most random tea I found. I actually laughed at this, not to sound bitter or like horrible about it. <laughs> but does anybody know the iconic Empress London Tipton from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody? Um, Miss Prindle? Yeah. <laughs> now, are you familiar with the gear shift? You mean the Prindle? Yes, Miss London Prindle Tipton. Yeah. <laughs> All right, from the Sweet Zack and Cody. So the actress Brenda Song was actually not allowed to audition for a role in Crazy Rich Agents because she was apparently told that her quote image was basically not Asian enough. Oh my god! So, <gasps> and everybody kept on saying that you know London was literally the original Crazy Rich Asian. So why are y'all tripping? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I would have loved to see London Tipton. Oh my god. <laughs> I freaking conic. It should have like not even been like Brenda Song cast as someone else. It literally should have been Brenda Song as London Tipton goes to right. the wedding. Right. Maybe the Tipton Hotel has a branch in Singapore and then yeah, they could have held oh like, a, a wedding reception there or something. <laughs> I don't know, but the opportunities are endless for London. But I'm so sad that Miss London Tipton was not able to join the cast. Oh my gosh, RIP. And so in that interview, you had songs saying the reasoning behind that. What they said was that my image was basically not Asian enough in not so many words. It broke my heart. I said, this character is in her late to mid twenties and Asian American and I can't even audition for it. I've auditioned for Caucasian roles my entire career, but this specific role, you're not gonna let me do it. You're going to fault me for having worked my whole life. I was like, where do I fit? And then adding, I got myself together and said, Brenda, there is only one you and you can't change who you are. You can't change your past. I am so grateful for every job that I've done. All I can do is continue to put good auditions out there do the best that I can that's all I can ask for see that's another example of people being told they're quote not Asian enough which is so mm-hmm. uh, such a such a problem within our community have you ever been told Ooh, you're not Asian enough by people who are also Asian or like other people in general my sister of all people oh really I have an older sister who's two years older than me mm-hmm. I think I mentioned before like I grew up in Singapore mm-hmm. but because she was two years older than me obviously she has a bit more like you know memories of her childhood in Singapore she's managed to capture the accent a bit better than I do apparently so when we visited Singapore a few times over the years Mm -hmm. and I had to like reacclimate myself with the accent and the food and the culture in Singapore 
she would sometimes point out that, you know, oh, you're not Singaporean enough, or like, oh, your accent over there, like, you mispronounced that word, oh, you're a fake fan, basically, so... Oh, to you? To me, basically. Oh, no! She wasn't really saying that I wasn't Asian enough, but she was saying that I wasn't, you know, Singaporean enough. Right, Uh uh-huh. And to me, that was actually low-key really hurtful to say to me. Yeah, yeah. I hold Singapore, like, you know, so close to my heart, and that's where I spent my childhood years in, and I have so many Uh fond memories, and like, a few great childhood friends there so like for someone to tell me up front that you know oh you're not Singaporean enough you know that, that kind of stuff does hurt you right yeah totally so when I hear people being told you know you're not black enough you're not white enough you're not Asian enough blah 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 blah, blah. like I, mm-hmm. I can understand mm-hmm. you know the hurt that people can experience right. just from that sentence alone mm-hmm. but what about you has anyone told you something like that oh yeah all the time Ooh. <laughs> I think that's common in Philippine families. I'm like laughing, but I'm like, it's like laughing as like a coping mechanism. (laughs) And the heart rate monitor is like increasing. (laughs) I like start to cry. (laughs) No, I, yeah, I've been told that like pretty Mm -hmm. much all my life. A lot of people, especially when I was growing up, when they look at me, they don't think I'm Asian. They usually think I'm black, if anything. Mm -hmm. I think a large reason to that is because of the texture of my hair. Like I have very curly curly hair not to say that there's no asian people who have curly hair like there are asian people with curly hair but i think you typically see like asian people with like long straight hair especially within the filipino community that's kind Mm -hmm. of a beauty standard that we have is it really yeah like especially like in the philippines and if you like look at filipino celebrities Mm -hmm. a lot of them it's that long straight brown black hair and like even my mom had well before she cut it and my grandma got fucking pissed at her she had like long (laughs) she had long straight hair so when i was growing up i had curly hair my mom loved my curly hair and my family loved my curly hair but Mm -hmm. sometimes we would go to like family parties and it would be with like other filipino people who they don't really know me and they would kind of say like why is your hair like that like your hair's so messy and blah 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 blah. and it's like i don't really plus this is like before the internet and YouTube so Mm -hmm. like I didn't know how to take care of my hair like I didn't have YouTube videos to like look at to learn and I always kind of had this weird relationship between myself and my hair because it Mm -hmm. felt like it wasn't meeting like the traditional Filipino beauty standard so there was a period of time where like I straightened my hair and then the chemical straightening like kind of wore off and then when I was in high school at one point I was like well this is like too much straighten my hair so then I just started (laughs) to wear my hair natural and it's like I feel so much more like myself Mm -hmm. when I started to wear my hair curly but yeah like my hair and then like also I don't know have you ever gotten this like I mean I guess you kind of talked about it with the accent thing but I've been told too and when I guessed it on my friend's podcast some of his listeners asked him this I've been told that I sound like a white person Mm. with the way I talk right so even on um, YouTube I've gotten comments before that are like how are you Asian but you look like a black person yet you sound like a white person like I've Uh, gotten that many uh, many times so this idea of not feeling or being quote unquote Asian enough is pretty much something that I have dealt Mm. with and then there's like so much to it too it's like oh like do you know how to speak the language well no I don't know how to speak Mm. Tagalog well um you're not Asian enough like that sort of thing so there's a lot to it and I feel like in general it's like not even specific to Asians but I feel like with any other racial community like when you're told from your own people like you're quote unquote not blank enough like it stings a little bit more you know right right I totally understand that and also at the same time as I mentioned you know I was originally born in the Philippines and my family is actually from the Mm. Philippines but I grew up in Singapore right so on paper I'm from the Philippines (laughs) 
but in my heart, I'm considered a Singaporean, you know, as myself. Mm-hmm. So when I do attend Philippine parties, you know, I, I can grasp the accent pretty good because my parents, you know, they always speak Tagalog at home. Right. I can understand, you know, basic Tagalog words. I can get the accent down, even though I exaggerate it sometimes for fun. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't feel this need or desire to identify myself as Filipino. I don't feel this push inside of me to try to get to know my Philippine roots, basically. Mm-hmm. When a few people try to tell me, like, oh, you speak English, like, you don't speak Tagalog, mm. like, you're not Filipino enough. Right. But I don't I don't feel anything when they say that. Oh. <laughs> which, is, which is different from your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, I don't really feel anything because I don't have any memories of being in the Philippines at all. So I don't really have much of an emotional connection to the Philippines. So when people try me, they can try again, but I'm not going to give them a response because I don't have a response. <laughs> you're like, that one doesn't dig at me, sis. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. And also, I kind of roll my eyes with the whole Philippine standards of beauty, which you kind of talked about earlier, because a lot of the Philippine celebrities are mixed. Mm -hmm. They're not fully Filipino. Mm -hmm. That goes back to our conversation about mixed people and everything. Right. But I do understand where you're coming from when, like, Filipinos tell you, you're not Filipino, and if you can't can't speak Tagalog, like, your hair is that way, like... Right, yeah. And it's also huge in Philippine culture, but, like, you know, family members and old cousins and friends, they just come up to you and gather and say, like, oh, you're skinny. Or, oh, you're fat. Yeah, that's a that's a popular one. It's so amazing. It's like they haven't seen you in a while. So the first thing they'll tell you is, ooh, you got fat. But then like five minutes later, they'll say, oh, how come you're not eating? Right! Well, maybe the reason I'm not eating is because you just told me I'm fucking fat. Okay. <laughs> that was an exclusive look into Steffi's rage, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> that's called Asian rage. <laughs> oh, oh, let me just coin a Let's term. coin it. <laughs> Entering it into Urban Dictionary. Right. Oh my god, I, I do hate those people when they ask you immediately, oh, do you have a girlfriend? Why, oh oh no, yikes. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, why are you so concerned about me when you're the one eating like 12 dozen lumpyang shanghais in your plate? Like, girl, what are you... <laughs> ma'am and there's like also like so many things like we could say back to you but because we respect you and you're elder we're like not going to but don't try me because i'm saying that in my head mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're filipino you've probably heard at least one of these comments Oy, or Tabachoy. or Oy, ha. Kari's made you fat. well it's nice to know our relatives pay close attention to us sometimes i don't even know how to respond And how do we respond when Filipino culture has normalized these attacks on our physical looks as just casual greetings? So why is this so deeply ingrained in our culture? Well, let's start by taking a look at our Filipino cultural values. Pakikisama is understood as social acceptance and conformity. And this value of pakikisama often shows up subconsciously in our own acceptance of the remarks made by our titas. We tend to conform to this practice as a thing Filipinos do at parties. Wouldn't this whole body shaming conversation just stop if we answered Artita's questions with, Tita, how about you? Bakit ang taba-taba mo na? Yeah, no. That's where it gets tough because these criticisms have real effects, primarily on our mental health and emotional well-being. Filipino Americans have some of the highest rates of depression among Asian Americans, yet Filipino Americans across the board seek mental health treatment at some of the lowest rates. And the reason we don't often unpack this is because Filipinos don't talk about their mental health, especially not with their families. So, Our relatives don't often see how their comments affect us emotionally. It's a generational gap. Oof, yikes. Well, 
that was a lot um <laughs> that was therapy that was that was personal um yeah <laughs> god i mean what other tea do you have oh i guess one last thing i want to talk about for in terms of tea Uh is that um you know there was a lot of controversy as well about how there's a lack of asian representation at the same time in this movie because Mm. in the movie they're predominantly chinese people chinese singaporean people Mm -hmm. but singapore a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't know this but singapore is a very highly diverse country Right. And it's made up of four main groups of people. You have the Eurasians, you have the Chinese people, the Malay people from Malaysia, and you have Indian people from India. Mm-hmm. So they all, through the decades, you know, all of these different communities converge in the island nation of Singapore. That's why Singapore is such a highly diverse country. And in Singapore, when I was in primary school in Singapore, we had this thing called Racial Harmony Day. Oh. Where literally one day a year, every student is encouraged to wear their traditional costume or outfit from their, you know, their ethnic or racial background. That's so cool. The Muslim people, they often wear like their headscarves and their... I'm butchering the terms right now, so I apologize for that. But like, you know, Mm -hmm. basically people wore like sarongs, they wore their traditional outfits basically from their own countries, their own backgrounds. And they even like bring their traditional board games from their own parents. They bring their traditional wow. food from their home country. So it's a very... Singapore is very, very huge in diversity. Uh-huh. <laughs> basically, a lot of people were hating on this movie because they were saying, you know, oh, it's all these Chinese people. Like, where are the other, you know, racial groups in Singapore? This is not representative of Singapore. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that this movie wasn't necessarily made to cater to those concerns. It was made... To to adapt the book originally. And as someone who read the books, all three of them, I can safely say that there are more than a lot of Chinese characters in the books. You know, Mm. there's a lot of Indian characters. There's some Filipino characters. It's not just Chinese Singaporean characters. So a lot of people were like annoying about the movie when it came out, which I found was like just blatant laziness in terms of criticism. They were just trying to find a way to hate on this movie. Right, yeah. (laughs) But for people who don't really know much about Singapore and only watch this movie for reference to know about Singapore, don't naively think that it's a very rich country with only rich Chinese people around. There's like a lot more going on in the country as well. There's a lot of middle class people in the country. There's a lot more non-Chinese people in the country. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to like put the little disclaimer out for people when they think that Singapore is just this whole crazy rich Asians atmosphere all all around but it's not really the truth necessarily right that's the thing too like when a particular movie that focuses on like in this case like asian people it's like Mm -hmm. because it's like the one asian movie it's like they carry so much burden exactly and responsibility in terms of like oh well it has to do this and has to do that and it's like well like one asian movie can't be representative of all asian experiences like that's Mm -hmm. impossible this movie it's a movie called crazy rich asians it's set out to portray a very specific experience and it's like a bit wish fulfillment too because it's like oh the lives Mm -hmm. of these rich people so you like get the criticism but at the same time it's like well this movie never sought out to do xyz you know so exactly yeah right you know i think the noise is valid and i think it's because for so long asians in america have been so underrepresented in Mm -hmm. media. So whenever there's a chance, (laughs) whenever there's that rare comet of a chance, you know, people are so invested in every aspect of this being perfect and being right. And, you know, unfortunately, this movie cannot be everything for everyone. And 
I see and I feel the pain and I completely understand the arguments that people were trying to make. I mean, let's see here. Ooh, okay. This next piece of tea, we could end on this, but it's like pretty controversial. But I feel like you would sure. you would have something to say because you actually met her as we established <laughs> the previous <laughs> part one. Oh my god. So let's get into Aquafina's quote unquote black scent. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Your loins. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Aquafina in this movie, she was, I feel like, one of the big breakout stars from Crazy Rich Asians. When she did this, this was the same year she did Ocean's 8, so Aquafina had a lot of work that year. After the success of Crazy Rich Asians, if you hadn't seen the movie, you'll notice that Aquafina has a very particular, a very distinct voice. Yeah, she's like trying to play a game of chicken with me. Where she's like coming at me and like thinking I'm gonna swerve like a chicken. But you can't swerve. I'm not gonna swerve, not for her. No, chickens are bitches, dude. And I'm not a chicken. You're not a chicken. You gonna roll up to that way and you gonna be like, bok bok bitch. Bok bok bitch. And she got a lot of backlash over the way she speaks. And some people were accusing her of having a quote unquote black scent and saying, you know, she plays that up in certain roles like, you know, a crazy rich Asians. But then if you watch her in The Farewell. How bad is she? And you can tell me the truth. Mackenzie is quite advanced. Shouldn't we tell her? In her situation, most families in China would choose not to tell her. Isn't it wrong to lie? I mean, if it's for good, it's not really a lie. I mean, it's still a lie. She doesn't have the quote-unquote black sense, so it's sort of like she's only playing her accent up when it will benefit her the most. So Mm -hmm. how do you, like, I mean, I do know Aquafina is from New York. Mm -hmm. Maybe she grew up around people who spoke in that particular way and when you are around a certain group of people sometimes the way they speak you kind of just like end up following that as well and picking up on that and then you don't even realize oh oh like I've, right. I've done this but what are your thoughts on that because you actually met Aquafina and you like heard her talk so and you're from New York too so <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> For some reason, I never really caught on the black scent while watching the movie. I think because I'm not as familiar with the whole black scent controversy as a lot of people are. And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not African-American myself. Yes. So I can't really speak much on that. Mm-hmm. But when I did meet her, I also never got that vibe from her. That I didn't feel like she was being inauthentic with using a specific accent or so. Mm-hmm. But I do know that Aquafina was raised in Queens. Right. In Queens, New York. So, And her accent does come across as like, you know, kind of like rough. Some people think it's hoarse and they make fun of it. <laughs> kind of live in a perpetual state of strep throat. They'll be like, do you, did you want, you know, a holes or did you want... Um, but I think for the most part, people just kind of like understand what it is. And I don't really realize it until I hear it back. And I'm like, who's that, Satan? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's me. But guess what? People will never forget that voice. I personally don't think she intended to have a black scent in the movie. But a lot of people may not know this, but Aquafina was also a rapper. Right. And maybe over there, I would understand why it's more controversial because rapping is very, very much in like African-American culture. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where a lot of people would be like, oh, why are you stealing our accent? Or like, why are you this way when you're freaking Asian? Like, what are you doing, girl? Right. Cultural appropriation in hip hop is a longstanding debate. Who's allowed to express themselves through rap music and fashion? Asian rappers have been a part of the scene for decades, while popular Black artists also integrate Asian elements into their work. At this point, is it appropriation or a cultural exchange? 
Dr. Ninoshka McTaggart, a sociologist who studied Asian American hip hop for the last 20 years, thinks the question is pretty complicated. What are they connected to about it and why do they, black community and Asians, why do they have this in common? This idea of struggler hustle is very important. So the idea that maybe you're a first generation Asian American, you don't feel like you belong, you feel like an outsider, I think that theme is very prevalent in hip hop and I think Asian Americans can relate to that. Asian Americans are invested in hip hop culture. It's not something that it's like, I wanna dip my feet into one day and then I'm out the next. But in the context of this movie, I never really got that vibe. I just know that she did go to college with Rachel in the US, yeah. in the book and in the movie. So I think that's where she got kind of her New York accent going on. Mm. But I can't really say much on the whole black sense situation, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting idea, kind of like Diego said, because we're both Asian, we can't really comment on like the whole from mm -hmm. a, a black person's perspective that's not our place to to judge that but i i don't know like for me it's kind of like well how do you not to say that the, the criticism isn't valid or it isn't worth thinking about but it's also on the other hand too I, I start to think like well how how is an asian person supposed to sound she said what she said <laughs> that is the question mm -hmm. i mean kind of going back to like what i said about myself earlier it's like mm -hmm. i've been on the flip side i've been told that i talk like a white person and i growing up here in orange county like that's a very predominantly white area mm, okay. so and accents are very tricky with me because they're so close to a person's identity mm -hmm. and i do understand you know people's concerns about like, oh why is your accent this way like why don't you speak in this accent when you're from here mm -hmm. but it's a very real issue but there's just i think we'll spend like a whole oprah winfrey apple tv plus like I segment just talking I about that <laughs> God. But I, you know, I understand too, though, I think the reason why there is that criticism or even just bringing up this idea of like, oh, you're putting on this quote unquote blacks and is because like, I, I think from what I've read, it's like, and this is completely understandable. It's like black people, you don't want to just like use their culture, use their race as like a right. costume to put on and then to take off when convenient. So like that is like totally valid. And that's where cultural appropriation comes in. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of Costco trucks full of tea coming in it's like hard to keep up so many conversations to be had about identity race accents ethnicity and all that kind of stuff it's a very very diverse topic to talk about it's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while well let's move on to tinseltown showdown then this is a segment where we talk about any potential people who may have been up for the role and then they ended up not being in the movie so do you have anybody because I literally was not able to find anyone for this I think one I mentioned was Brenda Song who played the fabulous London Tipton on Disney right the only other one was Jamie Chung Jamie Chung is an actress who auditioned for a role in Crazy Rich Asians mm -hmm. but she's a, she's basically this Korean American actress she actually played Mulan on the ABC TV show oh my god I was gonna say I was literally just about to look up I was like wait didn't she play Mulan <laughs> yes yes so she played Mulan on, on Once Upon a Time on ABC but she caused controversy when she called out Henry Golding's casting and she said oh. quote, that is quote-unquote some bullshit quote unquote oh yikes was she one of the people that was like he's not asian enough basically yeah oh my god but then people called her out on social media saying that but you're korean american and you played a chinese character mm. on once upon a time and then she shut up <laughs> <laughs> and then she apologized to henry Golden on social media and he was like okay i accept Oh my god, awkward. Yeah, awkward. But she was called out. So. Oh, yikes. 
I'm not too sure what role she was trying to audition for, but that was all the information I could gather. It was both London Tipton and Mulan. Wow. <laughs> trying to get into that flight. <laughs> Damn. Well. Yeah. That's... Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, like, yeah, that's that's something to be noted, too. It's like Asian people. That's another problem in Hollywood where, like, they think all Asian people are the same. So then they just, like, cast, like, I don't know, like a Korean person to play, like, a Japanese person. Exactly. But then at the same time, too, because I, I remember, like, I was listening to a Sandra Oh interview, who is our mutual fave, Miss mm. Eve Palastri. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. She was, like, asked about this in an interview, and the interviewer had asked her, like, well, what are your thoughts on, like, when that happens, when, like, a Korean person gets cast to play, like, a Chinese person or something? And Sandra Oh had said, The demand of specificity does not hold for white actors. So that means the actual range of what a white actor can play will be five times as large, let's just say. So I bristle at those standards being then put on actors who have clearly have less opportunity. And I think we should always be up for that conversation and up for the flexibility of it. Yeah, because I guess, I mean, the alternative is if you just have to wait around for every English language part that's specifically for a Korean, you might be waiting for a very long time, right? I mean, it's just... I mean, if everyone was waiting that, then it'd be fair. But don't... Don't put certain rules or certain demands. Okay, well, I guess we will move on to, I think I hear Miss Whitney talking about receipts. Uh, So. (laughs) No way. I want to see the receipts. Let's move on to show me the receipts. This is a segment where we talk about stats for the movie. So this movie has receipts. So what receipts do you have? Well, stats by stats, as Whitney likes yeah. to say. <laughs> um, oh my God. So this movie was filmed on a budget of just $30 million and it got a box office return of $238.5 million. Oh my God. Ooh. And actually is the most financially successful romantic comedy of the last decade. Mm. It was also the sixth highest grossing romantic comedy ever period wow see oh my god look asian see look what happens when we actually show up to the movies right let's do that <laughs> that's also a little bit of a reason why this movie got a 91 percent rating on rotten tomatoes and yeah a score of 74 percent on metacritic which is actually pretty high for metacritic actually if you think about it because metacritic is pretty harsh yeah and then it also hit number one on the american box office with 26.5 million in its opening weekend Ooh. and it stayed number one for two more weeks that's so cool a little bit of tea here the movie did poorly mm-hmm. in china though unfortunately oh okay i'm glad you're bringing this up crazy rich asians was translated in chinese as an unexpected gold digging romance Now, I'm not saying she's a gold digger, because the movie really didn't make a lot of money. It only brought in $1.2 million in tickets during its opening weekend. And on Chinese movie review sites, the reviews were not so good. This one says, I was told that in the United States, people are going crazy over the all-Asian cast, but that's nothing special in China. Another user writes, It's like selling American-style Chinese food in China, so not the racial triumph it was viewed as in the West. That could be because Chinese audiences still regard the movie as American and distinctly foreign. So the whole diversity marketing strategy could not really be used in China, so that's why it didn't Mm -hmm. really do well in China. Well, I mean, I guess I could get into awards then. Mm -hmm. So Miss Crazy Rich Asians won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Comedy, and then they also had some Guild Awards. The Art Directors Guild gave them Best Production Design, which, like... 
that wedding though oh Agreed. of course um <laughs> the costume designers guild they won excellence in contemporary film which again that wedding mm-hmm. they were nominated for a lot of awards too like they got a nomination for four critics choice awards that included best acting ensemble best comedy best actress comedy for constance Wu, and then best production design and then they got two golden globe award nominations best motion picture in a musical or comedy and then best actress in a musical or comedy for constance Wu. leading lady constance Wu, making history as the first asian american woman in more than 40 years to land a golden globe nod in the lead actress musical or comedy category Wu acknowledging the cultural significance in an emotional statement. Asian actors, including myself, have always supported another culture story. But for the first time in 25 years, this film is about our culture. And you know what moved me is when Constance Wu said, I never imagined something like this would happen for me because I'd never seen it happen to another Asian American actress. It's, you know, the so-called invisible minority. Invisible no more. But justice for Michelle Yeoh, because I think she was the best acting person in this movie. <laughs> I'm going to see something controversial. Yeah. I think that Michelle Yeoh should have been nominated and not Constance Wu. <gasps> okay, honestly, oh. I agree. Even though, like, yes, a large part of this movie, it really is Constance Wu's story. So it's like, you get it. Yeah. But at the same time, in terms of, like, actual performance quality not to say that Constance Wu didn't do a good job she did a good job she did a great job but Michelle yo like you wouldn't feel the emotion of Constance Wu's character without the presence of Michelle Yeoh's character like literally like staring you down from that staircase you know what I mean right right like Michelle Yeoh was so essential to the plot (laughs) this I guess finally relates to my point earlier that for some reason Michelle Yeoh is not recognized enough in America. Mm. I don't really know why. Yeah. Maybe it's because she's not in many Hollywood movies that people want to watch or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought it was a crime that she was not nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes. Right. But then Constance Wu was. And like I said, like of course, Constance Wu did an amazing job in the movie. But Michelle Yeoh left such a huge impact. Yeah, yeah. In the movie as a character. And I looked it up. She only won one award. Oh. <laughs> For her role in the Asian Awards for Outstanding Achievement in Cinema. And that was that. No other nominations, no other wins. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what is the problem? And also a little bit of a tidbit. When she appeared on the James Corden show, you know, to promote the movie with Henry Golding. Mm -hmm. I noticed that the audience cheered super loudly when Henry Golding showed up. Which I understand because he's... Henry Golding. Yeah. But they were pretty quiet when Michelle Yu showed up oh. for the first time. Well, if Diego and I were in the audience, that would not be the case. <laughs> we would be like, woo! <laughs> the two woos in the crowd, like, oh. And like take control <laughs> so. of like the ox cord and like start playing like the Diva Daily's theme song. <laughs> um, I. James Corden's gonna kick yeah. you out for a trademark. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so like, I don't know why, but Michelle Yeoh deserves more recognition in America. Okay, she deserves a lot more. I agree. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, like, okay, wait. So now I have a question for you in regards to the book. Okay. Where is her character, like, does she no longer play, like, a role in the plot? Or, like, what happens? She's a huge character in the first book. I'll say that at least. But not in the second or third. She kind of fades a little bit in the second and third book because Mm. the other two books focus more on the other rich families around Asia. Oh, okay. But in the first book, one of the main storylines was Rachel's conflict with Eleanor Young. And having read the book and having watched the movie, Michelle Yeoh really, really captured her character very well. Well, I guess we'll jump into 
impact and closing thoughts. So take it away, Diego. What is the impact of Crazy Rich Asians? Well, I have both a personal impact and pop culture impact. Okay. Let's both talk about pop culture first. Okay. So obviously, you know, this movie made such a huge impact on pop culture. You know, it opened a bit more doors for Asian representation and it made Hollywood pause and be like, oh, the Asian speaks. They they want to see us. Okay, let's let's give them some more. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a bit more visibility for Asian representation in media nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's even boosted tourism and interest in Singapore. Actually, I think I said before when I used to introduce myself as being from Singapore from like years back, nobody knew what the heck it was or they were like oh is that in asia like i I wouldn't know but ever since the movie came out everybody's like so impressed or like awestruck when i say that i'm from singapore they're like oh my god like the movie right Mm. and i kind of laugh and nod but i'm like um so i mean thank you for the visibility you you love it yeah and then obviously as we talked about you know henry golding went on to do a movie with michelle yo again for last christmas in 2019 whoa you Again. What do you mean again? Did you follow me here? Are elves always so cynical? Yes, relentlessly. These are dark times. I'm Tom. Kate. And lastly, Warner Brothers ordered a new movie sequel. And it it really showed that they did pay attention to the whole box office, the whole critical reception and how audiences perceived it. And we're still waiting on that sequel. We're still waiting. And what do you have for pop culture impact? Ooh, okay. So I have a lot here for pop culture impact, which you kind of started already to to speak on. But Mm -hmm. yeah, since Crazy Rich Asians, there's been a lot of great Asian representation. I feel like a lot of that honestly came from the success of Mm -hmm. Crazy Rich Asians. Because again, had that movie not done well you know studios and networks they probably would have not taken a chance on shows or movies that centered on asian stories but because crazy rich asians did well studios and networks were like oh i guess asian people are marketable (laughs) and they're (laughs) bankable in some way right right so i have here in 2018 which was the year that crazy rich asians came out it just so happened that there were other asian projects that came out around that same time too like to all the boys i've loved before which was a rom-com with lana condor the letters are out women tell me about it Here's the thing. I had to make it look like I liked you so somebody else wouldn't think I liked them. What if we let people think that we were actually together? Let's do this. And then Searching with John Cho. Have you ever seen that movie? It's so good. No, but I know like those. <gasps> it's so good. 911, what's your emergency? I'm calling to report a missing person. Okay, who is this regarding? My daughter. I'm the detective assigned to your daughter's case. I need to know how everything unfolded. Understood. Those two projects in Crazy Rich Asians came out in August. So everybody kept saying it was Asian August or something. It was beautiful. And then also in 2018, speaking of Miss Sandra Oh earlier, (laughs) Sandra Oh became the first actress of Asian descent to earn an Emmy nomination for lead actress in a drama series for Killing Eve. Thank you. Thank you. But it's an honor just to be Asian. And then at the Golden Globe, she made history three times over because she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama for Killing Eve. And because of that win, she was the first woman of Asian descent to win multiple Golden Globe awards. And she was the first Asian person of descent in 39 years to win a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a TV Drama. 39 years. You can't tell me that there hasn't been an Asian actress that wasn't deserving of at least a nomination, let alone a win. But Sandra Oh motherfucking broke that curse. E. Pilastri did that. And then Sandra Oh also 
hosted the Golden Globes that year, so she was the first person of Asian descent to ever host the Golden Globes. So <laughs> Sandra Oh did that in 2018. She was ticking so many boxes with her Sharpie. She was like, okay, I did that. I did that. Mm, maybe I did that. There are two people here tonight that I am so grateful that they're here with me. I'd like to, t- to thank my mother and my father. Oma, Appa! You know, for Asian kids to actually make our parents happy, it's so fulfilling. Um, and that happened. I, I was, I'm just so grateful that they were here and able to come. And then I have here 2019, more Asian representation. You had The Farewell with Aquafina. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Minan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. Always Be My Baby, which was on Netflix, starring Randall Park and Ali Wong. Oh yeah, I watched that. I guess I have to start dating again. Ugh, is there anything worse? You and Marcus are so cute. Mm, no, no. Remind me why you never got together? There's way too much history there. 2019 was also the same year that Marvel announced the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So we have an Asian superhero joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think his name is Simu Liu. And also, coincidentally, at the time of us recording this podcast, Marvel is filming the Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings movie right now in San Francisco. Oh my gosh. They're basically a few neighborhoods from me. Oh yes. Right now. Unknown number from Burbank, California. Now I know that uh, Disney headquarters, uh, Disney studio is in Burbank. And so my heart's thumping out of my chest. I, I jump up and I'm like, hello. And the, and the divine voice of Kevin Feige, <laughs> I'll never forget it. So calm, so booming is yeah. like, Simu, hi. We'd like you to play Shang-Chi. Also, you need to go to Comic-Con in four days. And I was like, what, what? And then, I mean, 2020, of course, Parasite, historic mm. win. Best Picture, Mm. Best Director, Best Foreign Film, and Best Original Screenplay. Parasite. But history is likely to remember last night's Oscars as the first time a non-English language film took the top honors. Parasite won four awards, including Best Picture and Best Director for Bong Joon-ho. It's a history, but (laughs) I never intended it. We just made a movie. And then we also got like Disney's live action Mulan. Loyal, brave. True. It is my duty to protect my family. Netflix literally just released Over the Moon, which is an animated movie with Asian characters voiced by Asian actors, which is nice. It's just a silly myth. It's not a silly myth. It's real. She's on the moon right now, waiting for her true love. Right, Papa? Also, Disney, like, released their trailer for a movie called Raya and the Last Dragon, and apparently that's, like, heavily inspired by Southeast Asia, so... I was gonna say that I'm really glad that they're gonna do that, because, like I said, we don't have any representation at all, really, Mm -hmm. beyond a couple movies and TV shows, so the fact that Disney is doing this with a whole Disney animated movie... Yeah! I saw, like, some of the artwork already for the movie, and I can tell, like, there's a huge influence from, like, Malaysia, Mm -hmm. a bit of the Philippines and Thailand and Vietnam, so I'm like, it's gonna be our year it's gonna be our year oh my god my whole life i trained to become a guardian of the dragon gem but this world has changed and its people are divided now to restore peace i must find the last dragon 
My name is Raya. I can talk about my personal impact very quickly. As I said before, um, I watched this movie five times in the theater and I remember posting about it on my Instagram stories. I was like, you know, support Asian representation, you know, get out there, buy your tickets, please support us, like blah, 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 blah. And then I think after the fourth time I watched the movie, my childhood sweetheart, this is like some tea. Ooh. My childhood sweetheart. <laughs> this is spilled a Technicolor tea. <laughs> <laughs> basically. My childhood sweetheart from like primary school back in Singapore, she like DM'd me on Instagram. She was like, oh my gosh, you watched that movie so many times. Oh, that's so great. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is the first time that we've talked in so many years, Ooh, basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I was like, I, I can't let this go. I got to message her back. Mm-hmm. So I messaged her and, and we started talking. We started reminiscing about our childhood and stuff like that. And we started video chatting more and then I heard her voice for the first time in like over 10 years. Wow. I heard the accent and like a lot of childhood memories were unlocked uh-huh. thanks to this movie. And then finally, I got the courage to book my own ticket <gasps> to fly back to Singapore to visit. Uh-huh. And I hadn't visited Singapore in over 10 years at that point. Right. So this was like a huge, huge moment for me, not to be dramatic. Mm-hmm. So basically, this movie really inspired me to like reconnect with my Singaporean roots. And I, mm. I reconnected literally with one of my childhood best friends, one of my old friends from way back then. Yeah. And I got to fly back to Singapore and it was beautiful. I got to stay at the Marina Bay Sands. Oh, wow. The hotel yeah. uh, at the end of the movie. I stayed there for one night because literally one night is over $400. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Oh my god. So that's like a flight alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we were like, we need to go, we need to try just one time, just one night, you know? And we got into the infinity pool and we did all that. So we kind of reenacted Crazy Rich Asians to an extent <laughs> when we visited. So you were like the dancers at the very end dancing in the pool after... <laughs> I was the, the waiter that uh, Michelle Yeoh stepped on when she like left <laughs> the scene. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> she was oh like out gosh. of my way and she stepped on me and I was like... <sighs> <laughs> so yeah basically yeah this movie not to sound dramatic but it literally changed my life as well like you know it made me reconnect with my past and stuff like that and mm-hmm. i was planning to visit singapore again this year but you know miss rona she was like had other plans she coughed on my passport and <laughs> i can't go so one day hopefully when coronavirus and trump are gone maybe we can go back and maybe we can see and definitely yeah when i visited singapore there were so many tourists and i can't deny that it it was thanks to crazy rich asians Mm -hmm. because of the exposure there so it was really great oh surely yeah yeah i mean i feel like for me in terms of like personal impact as asian person who watched crazy rich asians you know like we've been saying throughout this entire time like there was a lot of hype going into this movie because it was the first time that you had like an all asian cast in a movie that was being distributed by like a major movie studio like Mm. Warner Brothers Mm -hmm. and the last time that had happened was Joy Luck Club. My mother started the Joy Luck Club. For 30 years these women feasted, forgot past wrongs, laughed, played, lost and won and told the best stories. No talking in Chinese. How do I know you're not cheating? We are your auntie and we are very honest people. Hollywood Pictures presents the story of four extraordinary women who left their homeland behind. I was raised the Chinese way. To build a future for their daughters in America. 
So Joy Luck Club came out in 1993, which is the year I was born. Mm -hmm. And Crazy Rich Asians came out in 2018. And it was like August too. And it was like a couple days after I had had turned 25. And there were so many interviews of people talking about like, oh, there's like an entire generation that like had nothing from Joy Luck Club to Crazy Rich Asians. And I was like, oh my God, like I am that generation. The whole concept of that is that I found out that there hasn't been a movie with a completely Asian cast. 25 years. Since the Joy Luck Club. Yeah, 25 years. A whole oh life has grown up in that span. You know, there was an entire adult walking around that was like, hey, Asian American movies? I've never seen one, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, what is this? Yeah, he's not even in college anymore. He's out of college, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. It's, it's crazy to me. It was kind of... Um... I feel like a bit sad self-awareness that I didn't even realize that <gasps> until they were bringing all of that yeah. up. And I think it's because like as yeah. an Asian person, I think we're just so used to like not <laughs> not being like acknowledged in that way. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know that that was something to look for, let alone like that was something for me to want mm -hmm. because it was attainable. Mm -hmm. So I felt like very like emotional. It's like, wow, like representation and visibility is so important because like, again, you don't even realize what you're missing out on because you're just so used to not seeing it. Amazing how much the representation in this film has affected people. Chrissy Teigen, who now goes by Teigen, or always did. Always did. We had it wrong. Sorry. Her daughter, Luna, was in uh, the film and yelled out grandma in Thai because she thought the woman playing your mom was her grandma. Yeah. Do you have other stories like this that you've heard? I get stories like that almost every day. I mean, people coming up to me on the street who didn't even realize how much representation meant to them because it just wasn't a topic of conversation before. And what's been great about this movie is it's just started the conversation and made people aware. And yeah, it's just a movie, it's just a story, but story is how we make meaning in our lives. Mm -hmm. And representation equals possibility. So I think for like little girls out there who wanna feel like their stories are valued by American culture, I think it's been tremendous and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Coming soon to theaters. All right, you guys, we have now come to Coming Attractions. So glad you can be here with me today. This is the part of the podcast where we will be playing a clip from the next movie that we're going to be talking about for next week. And not only is it a brand new week next week, or I should technically say this upcoming week, it's a brand new week. <laughs> um, It's actually going to be a brand new month. It is December, December 2020. And of course, on Diva Dailies, new month, new theme. And we're not only doing a new theme, but we're going to be doing things a little different in the month of December. Obviously, when it comes to divas, movies and TV shows are a huge part of the work. But also, what is a huge part of what makes a diva a diva, the fabric, the DNA of what makes a diva a diva is the discography the music. So in honor of December, we are ringing in the holidays, not with holiday movies, but with holiday diva albums. Yes. Over the next couple of weeks in December, we are going to be discussing a holiday diva album. So that's the theme. I wanted to change things up a little bit in December because I wanted to introduce this idea of covering albums on this podcast, even though, you know, the, the log line, if you will, or the tagline of the podcast of Diva Dailies is a podcast where we deconstruct divas on film and TV. We should really add music to that because I definitely, over the course of having this podcast, I want to expand what we cover. And that includes talking about albums from our different divas and not just albums 
albums, but, you know, hopefully concert documentaries and performances, live performances and moments in time that really defined a diva. So I'm hoping, you know, that's a little preview of what's to come in season two instead of just primarily covering movies and TV shows. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's look to December now, December 2020 for coming attractions. Instead of playing a little clip from the next movie that we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be playing a snippet of a song from the Holiday Diva album that we will be discussing in a couple of days. So let's see if you can recognize this artist, this song, and maybe even the album. So here we go. We finally come to the end of our Crazy Rich Asians, our double helping of Diva Dailies for the week. (laughs) Diego, where can the people find you again on social media if they want to follow you? So I'm only pretty active on Instagram and my handle is M-I-S-T-E-R-C-A-G-A-R-A. And that's Mr. Gagar on Instagram. And where can they find you, Miss Steffi? Well, if you guys want to follow the podcast, you can follow us at Diva Daily's Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also email us. We're Diva Daily's Pod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, it's 714-729-3121. And if you want to follow me personally on my Instagram and Twitter, because I'm honestly way more responsive there than I am on the Diva Dailies <laughs> Instagram accounts. Wait. You can follow me. I'm at INN underscore MHO. And then I'm also on YouTube in my humble opinion. So yeah, that's pretty much it. And thank you so much for listening as always. And remember divas. So the thing is, a diva has to be good at what she does. <laughs>